morning. I have enjoyed our time of worship so far today. Let's open a word of prayer uh, before we jump into our sermon this morning. Father, thank you that we have all gathered here. And uh, despite the weather and uh, despite anything else that might be going on in our lives that could prevent us from being here, that this group of people has come and we trust that, uh, that there is a purpose for their being here today and that uh, what we speak during this time and what we say during our worship and uh, the sharing time that's already taking place, Father, I just pray that you'd use these things to encourage us, to strengthen us, uh, and to make us more like your people, your body here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just before I jump into the sermon itself, I wanted to share a little update on a couple of really encouraging things that took place in my uh, uh, past week. The first is that from Monday to Thursday, I spent some time up in Mistisney, which is a community I help with summer camps in over the summer, uh, and uh, it's for First Nations youth. And uh, uh, I was there to help my mentor with a conference that he was speaking at, as well as to do some networking for a research project that I'm working on. Um, but within that, uh, my mentor said to a youth pastor that works there, uh, I, Ben would like to meet you with you about this research project. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll trade you. I'll meet with Ben, but you have to come speak at my youth group uh, on Wednesday night. And so on Wednesday night, we went there and I shared my testimony. And my mentor, Paul, shared a talk on the, uh, the healing of the paralytic uh, and, uh, and that led very naturally into the youth pastor doing an altar call. And there were about 30 or 40 kids there, and seven made a first-time faith commitment. So that was just a very encouraging thing, uh, unexpected and really the highlight of the trip for me. Uh, so yeah, give a hand to that. <laughs> Thank God for the work he's doing in these communities. Uh, and alongside this, uh, last week I shared with you a letter written by somebody here at Auburn. Uh, and, and that person was reaching out to the building that they live in and saying, I want to start a meal here and just enjoy getting to know each other and building some community. Uh, and on Friday, when, uh, after I was back from this trip up north, we did this meal, and, uh, and it was incredibly encouraging. There was uh, 15, 16 people that came from the building alongside the team that was helping prepare the meal, and uh, it was a simple meal, and yet ever, everybody told us how much they enjoyed it. It was good food. They, they felt like uh, they, they went away well-fed, uh, and alongside this, there was just a number of good conversations that sprang up, uh, and for me personally, one of the ones that came up was that there was a, a young woman who was there with her uh, 10-year-old son, and, uh, and she just shared her whole life story with me, and within that, uh, she, she had expressed surprise that we were from a local church, uh, and she said that she had grown up in the Catholic Church, but had walked away from that, and for a long time not been part of the church, uh, and just a couple times recently, Christians have come to her, and engaged her, and blessed her, and she's kind of going, you know, I'm rethinking that maybe I need to start looking at this again, so anyways, it was just a really encouraging moment, uh, in a very encouraging evening, and I thought I'd share with you, this is what happens when we neighbor, right, which is what I, uh, part of what I talked on last week, is when we, when we put ourselves out there, to build relationships with our neighbor. God opens up those opportunities uh, to bless people and to bring them closer to him. So, yeah, just wanted to share both of those things uh, before we dive into the main part of the sermon. Uh, I want to start again by repeating what our vision here as a church is, uh, because everything that we're doing recently has been building off of that and trying to really build up a culture here where all of us, the whole congregation, works together to see those outside of the church come or return to faith. And this is really something we believe God is laying on our heart, that we want this type of congregation to be present here, and uh, to be present out in the community around here, and wherever home is for you. And uh, to encourage this, 
Brent, back in the, the fall, did a series on different barriers that prevent us from doing that. Uh, and then we had a series of different sermons in the new year that were dealing with different people who had experienced great change, including guest speakers from Teen Challenge and Paul's sermon on James. Uh, and, and then this, this week and last, I've been doing this little practical teaching series where we talk a little bit about what are some of the skills that we need to be able to do this. Uh, and, and Brent and I were just talking on Friday about, okay, where do we go from here? And, and the answer is that Brent is going to do a series on First Peter, which is dealing with Peter's instructions to a community that's trying to do this in New Testament times and facing opposition. And so kind of looking at what Peter's instructions were for his community. Uh, and, and alongside this, we'll be interweaving it with some more practical teaching that I've got that build on some of the things that we've already been dealing with in this series. So uh, hopefully, by the end of this year, you're sick and tired of hearing, here's what we need to do, and you're out doing it, <laughs> right? And that's really the hope, is that we hear it so often that we start going, okay, this, this must be something we need to be serious about, because we've heard it so, so, so often. But I hope also the different angles that we're coming at help really practically equip us to be able to go out and do it. Uh, and I know I've been encouraged so far by every, everything that we've talked about. When it comes to bearing witness in the world around us, uh, I, I proposed last week that there are really two main components, and then each of these can be broken down into smaller components. The first is that we promote the gospel, and this is what we camped out on last week. Uh, we, we neighbor which is we build relationships with people who are outside of the church, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, etc. We also pray for them, because we know that without God working in their lives, there's not really going to be any opportunity to see them come close to him. And we serve. We use the gifts and, and capacities that God has given us to demonstrate our love for our neighbors, as well as God's love for them. And alongside this, we need to promote the gospel, which is the verbal component. And and I've suggested that we can really break that down into three different things, too. At least three. I'm sure there's more than that. Uh, But one is testimonying. And I jokingly put a TM there. It's sharing your testimony, right? Uh, That that this is something that we need to be able to do is is tell how God has worked in our stories. Uh, And alongside this, evangelizing, which is really sharing the good news of the gospel, the evangel. And we need to be able to answer questions that might come our way. Because inevitably, as we're sharing about what God has done in our lives and what we believe he's doing in the world, then there will be questions that come our way. And so we need to be prepared to be able to address those questions. Now, now this is really what we're going to camp out on today, is this last half, the promoting of the gospel, or sorry, the proclaiming of the gospel, the verbal component of things. And we're going to look at each of these pieces in turn. Uh, And like last week, maybe it's it's kind of a a higher level overview of these topics. Uh, And so I recognize that we could probably spend an entire sermon on each of these things. Uh, And yet, uh, I think as I look at this today, uh, might find that we come away with some really good practical tools. Uh, This is actually based on a workshop I've done at Trent a number of times and refined over the past few years. And I think uh, we're coming away not just with principles, but actually with some really meaty things to say, okay, I can, I can use this in my, uh, in my time with my neighbors and stuff like that. So that's, that's my hope for today. Now, this type of teaching is not your typical expository message where I'm starting with a scripture passage and unpacking it and then going into, here's, here's the things that uh, God's word is teaching us. Uh, and I recognize that, and I even feel a little tension over it. Normally, workshops are the type of thing I would reserve for a time other than Sunday morning. Um, but that being said, I do believe that everything that we're doing here today is scriptural. Uh, really, really, really. And, and uh, Brent, he's talking about the fact that he's doing the teaching on First Peter over the next bit. And one of my favorite passages dealing with this verbal component of sharing our faith is found in that book, First Peter 3.15. And Peter's writing to his followers and saying, In your hearts you need to honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared 
to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet to do it with gentleness and respect. And, and this, this really is, to me, one of the foundational elements of what it means to be a Christian in the world, that, that we need to celebrate Christ as Lord in the whole lives that we live. In everything that we do, Christ is Lord over that, and we need to honor him within the things that we do. And we need to be prepared that that will raise questions in people's mind. And so to be able to say to them, well, here's what God has done in my life, and here's what I believe he's done in the world that really gives me hope. And, by the way, I will, I will field your questions and do my best to answer those too. I think all of these flow out of this that, uh, that Peter is talking about here, that, that as we live holy lives, people will ask us, well, why do you have this hope? What makes you different? Right? And we need to be prepared to do these things, and that's really what we're trying to do today, is to just give, give us here uh, a practical teaching so that we can say, yeah, I, I feel prepared to give a defense for the hope that I have when people come at me asking questions. And I think the last part is really, really vital. You notice the characteristic of, of how he says we should do this? We do it with gentleness and respect. So I, I, I'm not advocating here coming out guns blazing saying, I know what's best for you and I'm going to tell you whether you like it or not. That's not really the way that we come. Uh, and uh, sometimes we set that model up of evangelism and I think we mistake the fact that there are some people who are really good at coming out with guns blazing and coming across like they aren't guns blazing. Okay, I wish I had that gift. <laughs> but I know when I come out really forcefully, a lot of the time people recoil. Whoa, what's going on here? Right? And so I've learned that we sometimes have to take a different approach to be able to focus on building the relationship and then to gently introduce things over time. And I, I think the, the tools we have here today will be helpful in that regard uh, and I think uh, put us in a position where people go, wow, you're a different kind of Christian. You're not somebody who's just belittling me, but, but you're actually somebody who is respecting me and yet challenging my thinking at the same time. <clears throat> so with that in mind, the first topic I'd like to look at is the idea of sharing our testimony, testimonying as it were. Uh, and one of my favorite passages uh, dealing with the word testimony is Revelation uh, twelve eleven, which says that the saints have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, which I think shows just how integral God's work in our lives is. On one hand, we, we recognize the foundation for our hope is Jesus' shed blood. But on the other hand, we recognize that's a deeply personal thing, that God manifests himself to each of us in slightly different ways, and it's when we share that that people's lives are changed and that Satan is overcome, which I think is a beautiful picture. So with that in mind, there are a few principles that I think we need to keep in mind when it comes to sharing our testimonies, our stories of what God has done in our lives. Uh, and then I'm going to give a really practical tool for being able to do that. Um, these are principles that I derived, oddly enough, from high school English. I know there's lots of people here in this room who probably say, oh, I hated high school English. That's okay. Uh, I enjoyed it, unfortunately enough. Uh, and, and I did find that when it came to storytelling, there were certain things that I said, hey, this is actually helpful for me to keep in mind, even while I'm telling my story. Uh, the, the first principle is that we need to be concise. And this is really hard for me. I tend to be a pretty wordy person. <laughs> and, uh, and to be able to take what you're saying and boil it down to the fewest number of words is helpful for a couple of reasons. One, it makes sure that people are really tracking with you. Because the longer you go, the more likely people get distracted. Right? And the other element is by being concise, we make it possible that we will share more often. If your testimony takes 20 minutes to share, you will not share it very often. That's the reality. Because there's not going to be too many situations where you feel like you can sit down and talk to somebody for 20 minutes and tell them your whole life story. But if you can share it in a couple sentences that suddenly becomes something you can do on the spot. Whether you're talking to a neighbor out front of your house or whether you're at 
lunch with a workplace, uh, with somebody from work, or, or whether you're just bumping into somebody in the middle of a travel that you're doing, right? Uh, that it becomes something you can do. So c- being concise is really an important skill in our storytelling, and especially our story. Alongside this, we try and show, not tell. Uh, and, and this is to say that Generally speaking, we can get caught up with describing the things we were feeling and the things that were going on behind the scenes and kind of just get very descriptive about things. And that actually is harder for people to follow, oddly enough. People to do better when we actually give them just the narrative. Here's what took place as simply as possible and as, 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 as directly as possible. And people tend to find that a lot easier to, to track with. And then they can insert their own, oh, oh, when that happened, you must have been feeling bad. Right? And so we show instead of telling. We also want to avoid technical language. And this is something that, especially in Christianity, we can often invent our whole other jargon about how we say things. Right? And for me, who works with students at Trent University and who goes up north and works with First Nations people, I realize that phrases that we take for granted, like, I invited Jesus into my heart, that's a really weird thing when you stop and think about it if you don't understand what's being described. Right? Like, what? Like, you, you asked a, a person who lived 2,000 years ago to live inside of your, your heart? What, okay, what, what on earth does that even mean? <laughs> right? And, and so by nature, when we share something like that, people become a little confused. Now their mind is on that instead of on listening to your story. Uh, and, and they often feel like there's some sort of barrier between them and you. Right? I can't relate to this person. They're just weird. <laughs> right? uh, for me, the, the ultimate example of this is watching Star Trek. Right? We know that I, I hate watching Star Trek because they start babbling about all of these technical things. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what you just said. All I know is the ship is breaking down, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, fine. That, that, that was not helpful for me at all for you to spend 10 minutes describing how the ship is breaking down. I don't even know what uh, a gamma flux sure is, <laughs> you know, like, okay, whatever. Uh, and, and, and as Christians, sometimes I think we come across that way. So we need to avoid technical language. Alongside this, we need to be real because life is messy. And I think so often we want to package our story in such a way that it makes it sound like everything's A-OK. Everything has gone perfectly and life is hunky-dory now. And, and in my experience, especially young people, just check out when they hear that. Well, okay, that might be your story. That's not my story, is kind of the reaction that happens reflexively. And so we need to be open to admitting, yeah, I'm still waiting on certain things. Yeah, I'm still struggling with certain things. Yeah, there are parts of this that I do not yet understand. And I think that actually builds more respect over time when we're willing to be real and acknowledge that life is messy. And last but not least, I think we need to avoid what I would call testy preaching, which is that we take our story and then we turn it into an opportunity to tell the person, here's what you need to take away from this story. Right? So, so this happened to me and now you need to become a Christian. And, and the reality is a lot of the time that too turns people off right away because they feel like, wait a minute, let me take time just to process what you just told me. Don't immediately start telling me what I need to do. Right? It puts them in a defensive stance. And that's not to say that we might not think, hey, my story has real relevance to your story as well. But we need to be slow about that and maybe let people ask questions before we get to that place of saying, well, here's, here's what I think the relevance is for you. Right? Instead of turning it into an opportunity to preach people or to people and say, here's what you need to do. So, so these are just general principles. Being concise, show, don't tell. Avoid technical language, be real, life is messy, and don't test to preach. I think these are things we need to be mindful of while we're sharing our story. And there's a group um, called I Am Second, who has recently been coming here to Peterborough and doing some workshops through Youth Unlimited uh, called Uncovered. 
And at it, they've been using a tool that some of my students brought forward to me. And I think it's really good because it actually captures most of these elements in a very simple way. And so I'm going to share this tool with you. The only one that I would say it maybe doesn't capture is the Be Real Life is Messy. And that's just because it's so concise that there's almost not opportunity to even integrate the mess. But I'd say there's certainly lots of opportunity to talk about that mess afterwards. Right? But so here's, here's the, the visual diagram. They call it your 15-second story is what they call it. And, and for those who can't see well, uh, what it is is on the left-hand side of the page, there's two lines, and it says, I was blank and blank. And then there's a cross in the middle. And then on the right-hand side, there's another two lines, and it says, now I am blank and blank. Okay? And the idea is that um, we use two words to describe what had been happening in our lives. And then we recognize that because of Jesus' intervention... Now our life has been transformed, and we use two other words to be able to describe what now is taking place. So let me give you a quick example from my own story. My example is that I was abandoned and angry. But then I asked God to help me forgive the person who abandoned me and to heal. And now I am loved and at peace. Okay? There we go. That's my 15-second story. I don't know about you, I feel like I can break that out pretty much anywhere. <laughs> now, does it leave some things unanswered? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would love to stand here and tell you for the next five or ten minutes, here's what goes into the making of all of that, <laughs> right? Because there's a whole story of, of 15 years of my life that go into this, right? And many of you here have heard that story, so you're able to already start reading some of that into it. But the idea is you're just giving a taste. Right? Here's something that took place in my story that was really powerful, and this is the type of thing that you can use with your whole life story, which is what I've done here. But alongside that, there's other types of stories that can fit into this format. You can use it to talk about your conversion, the point when you came to Christ. You can use it to talk about rededication to Christ. So I had walked away for whatever reason, or I wasn't really seriously engaged, and now I've come back again. You can talk to, about seasons of difficulty or growth. So here's a time when I was struggling because there was adversity coming my way, and God used it to grow me. You can also use it to talk about answered prayers. Here's something that was going on that I was desperate to see God doing, and I prayed, and he responded. And you can even use it to talk about family faith, which is something that we come back to periodically here. The idea that you growing up in the church, having Christian parents who invested in you, and actually being able to grow up healthily and following God, that is itself actually a testimony. Right? And so, so you might be able to share, here's, here's how my family came to be in a position where I was able to receive the blessings of that. Right? So that, that can actually be a powerful story in its own right. So, so again, just going back really quickly, though, this is, this is the format. Right? You can just write this down. This is something you can take away and work on your own version of this, whatever type of story you're wanting to share, to be able to say, okay, can I find two words that describe a state that I was in? Figure out how Jesus helped with the change and then two words to describe, okay, here's where I'm at now. And that, that can be something that you can then take and share with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with somebody that you meet on the streets. Right? And this is, this is how they're using it, too. Uh, they're actually using this technique with Youth Unlimited downtown in Peterborough, just going out and talking to strangers. And they're finding that this is really fruitful. So I hope that's helpful. This is a simple way to share your story with other people. Next up, I'd like to talk about evangelizing, the sharing of the good news. And we see this 
all throughout the New Testament. This is something that God's people are called to do, and that it's not just pastors or evangelists who are called to do this, but that we're all called to be able to share the story of what God is doing in the world. And one of the, one of the interesting things, I think, is that when you look at the way that that took place in the New Testament, you find a lot of the time the people are doing the sharing find that God has already prepared the hearts there for responding to it, and that there's certain things in the culture or the environment, or the the history of the people they're talking to, that leads very naturally into, hey, we're going to talk about this. And so in Acts 17.23, we hear Paul proclaiming to the Greek people, what therefore you worship as have known, this I proclaim to you, right? So it's really a clarifying, here's something you knew intuitively, but you need to now see that it actually worships God, not whatever else you were worshiping. I think that the overarching story of Scripture what we might call the gospel narrative, really is an intuitive thing. It begins with the story of God creating the world good. And then that world became corrupt because of our rebellion, our human sin. And and then God sent his son Jesus to reconcile us to him. And ultimately, we're promised that he's going to restore the world to its original state. This is really, this is the narrative of Scripture. And I believe that there are certain truths here that are really intuitive, that people know in their heart of hearts, regardless of whether or not they are a Christian. The first is that the world is broken, and so am I. I think anybody who's honest with themselves, and, and I, honestly, I've encountered most people are pretty honest about this particular thing. If you say, is the world the way you want it to be? No, not really. What are you? Are you who you want to be? No, not really. We might pump ourselves up. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm valuable. Yeah, no doubt you're valuable. But are you what you want to be? No. There's a brokenness to this world and to our lives that people get intuitively, regardless of their faith. Alongside this, I think we get that we can't really fix it because we're all broken. Right? That, that this world that is a mess... We contribute to the mess more than we can solve it. And so this is something that people get intuitively. And I studied, Trent, I studied politics at Trent for four years. Basically, I could boil the whole program down to one sentence, which is human beings have tried all sorts of political things to fix the world, and they've all failed. That was basically what my professors taught me over the course of four years. Right? None of them Christians, but we recognize, yeah, this is really the story of politics in the world. And alongside this, we recognize, despite the fact that the world is broken, and I am too, and despite the fact that we recognize we can't fix it, there is this indelible longing. I want a better world that's inside of all of us. And I think this points us right to the fact that that's because we weren't made for a world like this. We were made for a world that was much better than this. And so I think you'll find, whatever conversations you're having with people, these things will be there present, lurking beneath the surface in their hearts, right? The difference is that we have a claim. We, we think we understand the solution comes through Jesus, which is different and is not going to be intuitive. And that's where we really need to be able to introduce that topic. Now, I think there's a couple different approaches that I have found helpful. Uh, the first one is, again, taken out of this uncovered event that's being, been being done. And I really like this. I don't know why the first two things popped up already. My slides are broken. <laughs> But this is what they call the three-circle method of sharing this story that we just talked about. It starts off with you asking the very question that we started with, which is, 
do you agree that the world is broken? That's the hook. That's the initial conversation point. Do you agree that the world is broken? And, and generally speaking, we're expecting, yeah. The person will say, I agree with that. Then, then you can follow up with the question, well, what do you do to try and deal with the brokenness? And this is where a lot of differing answers will pop up. Maybe I, I read certain things. Maybe I try and do certain things. Maybe there are certain behaviors I engage in, even self-destructive behaviors, like drinking. Whatever it is, most people say, yeah, well, when life is really rough and the world is broken, well, here's, here's some of the things I turn to. Then, then the opportunity comes up, okay, well, as a Christian, I believe that the world was originally a good place. But because of sin, it became broken. That's why it is the way that it is. And again, as a Christian, I believe that trusting Jesus is actually the gateway back into the life that we were originally meant to live. And so what you do is you're drawing these circles as we go throughout this presentation. So when you're asking the question, do you believe the world is broken? You draw this circle with a shatter in it, right? A brokenness in it. Then when you say, as a Christian, I believe the world was originally good, you draw the circle on the left-hand side, with this heart or whatever other shape you might choose to represent the goodness of the world, and then this line connecting the two, sin, right? And then as you present the idea, well, Jesus is actually, trusting Jesus is the gateway back into the life that we're supposed to live. We draw this next line and the word trust to this circle with the cross in it, and then the line up now back to the original world, the heart, transformation, right? And so this is a very simple visual diagram to be able to say, here's what we as Christians believe. This is presenting that story we were just talking about, right? And then you can ask, as a follow-up question, if you want to get really personal, well, then which circle are you living in, and why is that? So then people can reflect, well, am I still living in the broken world? Or am I living in the cross, and, and increasingly living in the, the original good life that I was meant to live? And so that, that's really the conversation starter. Any of this is a starter. But it's a simple way of being able to share the good news about what Jesus is doing in the world in a way that ties in with this sense that we all know the world is a broken place. Another approach that I found helpful is a mentor of mine, Stan. He, he attends here at Auburn. And uh, he has some guiding questions that he uses. This is a completely different approach, but I think you'll see the overlap in terms of what's going on here. He asks people, first of all, do you believe that God exists? Yes or no? If he says, if the person says no, okay, then I can pray for the person. But if they say yes, okay, I can move on to the next question. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Again, yes or no. If they say no, okay, I can pray for them. God has to convict them of this. If they say yes, I can move on to the next. Well, do you believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins? Yes or no? No? Okay, I need to pray that you would have Christ revealed to you. Yes? Okay. Let's, let's talk about the next step, which is, are you ready to invite Jesus into your life? Right? Now, now these, I've tried to take Stan's words as, as straight as possible. I might doctor these words a little bit if I'm talking to somebody who has no experience with Christianity, because some of these concepts may be a little foreign. But ultimately, I think these are four helpful questions, and particularly helpful because you don't necessarily have to do them all in one sitting. Right? Whereas the approach I just shared was a really, a, okay, sit down, do a presentation. This one, you can just ask that first one. And that can be a starting point for conversations over the course of months if you're in the person's life that long. Right? 
It can, it can initiate them grappling with, oh, maybe I should consider that God exists. Another approach that I have found personally helpful is just simply to invite a closer look at Jesus. And this is one that, especially in the context of Trent University, has been helpful for me. Because I find for a lot of the, the people there, they, they think of Jesus as more of a historic figure rather than something unique and, and, and the Son of God. Right? And, and so in my conversations with Trent students, when they're asking me about Jesus and what's important about him, I, I will present three things that I think are unique about Jesus that exploring him, that make it, make it important to explore him further. Right? Now, I recognize these things are not where we ultimately would want to end up. I'm not saying, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you need to believe that too. That, that's something that I will say in my conversations. But this is the starting point of the conversation, of being able to say, here's things about Jesus that I think everyone can agree on, and they beg a closer look. So the first is that Jesus was a man who lived a life that was so unique, his followers began to worship him and founded the world's largest religion. I think this is undeniable. That just on a basic historic level, when you look at what took place around Jesus' life, he did something pretty unique because a whole bunch of people started worshiping him. And today, that continues in the form of Christianity. That, that itself begs a closer look. What the heck happened that, that this took place? Alongside this, every, even today, many people claim to have had personal experiences involving Jesus, which led to their lives being changed. And this begs a closer look at, oh, okay, where's the testimony component, right? Here's my story. I was changed by Jesus, right? But again, it begs a closer look. Well, there's a whole bunch of people saying this about Jesus. That's weird. I need to consider this more closely. And last, early Christians recorded some radical claims that Jesus made about himself, which raise important questions about his identity. Okay? And again, I think this is undeniable on a basic historic level. That, that Jesus says some pretty crazy things in Scripture that make us have to pause and say, wait a minute, is that true or not? Is he who he says he is? So again, this is a starting point. That you can springboard off of these into all of the things that the church has taught about Jesus historically. And you can springboard off into looking at Scripture and saying, here's what Jesus has said. And you can springboard off into saying, here's my story of how God has changed me. So this is actually a really good way to start the conversation, especially with somebody who's wrestling with this on a more intellectual level. Whatever approach you choose out of the three I just presented, I think all of them can be very useful in different contexts. I love the three-circle method because of the way that it's a really nice, concise packaging of the gospel story. And it's the type of thing I can see myself breaking out with a complete stranger sitting on the bus if I were so bold. Stan's questions are maybe better for the type of thing where you're walking along somebody or somebody over years, right? You can just plant that seed and ask the question that you can then follow up with at a future date. And, and this approach that I've advocated here of just inviting a closer look at Jesus is something that works really well with somebody who's already starting to ask a little, a little bit of questions and you're able to say, well, here's what begs a closer look, right? Whatever approach you choose, though, pick one, try it out. That's my encouragement here. Is, is each of these can be a helpful way to introduce the gospel story into a conversation with somebody else. The last thing I want to talk about is answering questions, and I'm not going to be able to get into this thoroughly, okay? But I think when it comes to answering tough questions, a lot of the time we make it more complicated than it needs to be. A lot of the time we come up with a whole list of things that have come the way of Christians, and our, our response is to say, 
we need to memorize a perfect answer to each of these questions. And that's really hard. I'm not sure that's actually the most helpful approach. Instead, it's helpful for me to keep in mind that there's actually a certain way that people come to beliefs in the first place. The ancient Greeks had a formula that I think is really undeniable. That to believe something, we need to believe that it is true factually. That there's good evidence for it, that it's logical and rational. Alongside that, we need to believe that it's good. That it has a positive effect on the world. That, it, that if this thing is true, it not only is true, but it actually, it actually makes a good difference in the world in some sense. And we also need to believe that it's beautiful. That is, that it brings us joy in some way, shape, or form. Now, I'm not saying that everything is in, that is true in the world necessarily is good and beautiful. But for somebody to say, this is something I believe in, this is something that I hold to and I'm willing to give my life over to, it needs to be all three of these things. That, that, that simply being true on a factual level is something that we won't engage with very deeply. We'll say, yeah, maybe that's true, but I want to kind of ignore that as much as possible. Whereas I think when all of these things are true about something, then it forms what's called a strong belief. I can pin myself on this because it is true, good, and beautiful. And I think when it comes to what's happening in people's hearts when they're asking questions about Christianity, they all ultimately come back to one of these three things. That there's three core questions that people are asking of Christians. The first is the question of truth. Does it make sense? Is there evidence for this? Is there good reason why it fits together logically? And that's a question that people ask of Christianity. Alongside that, we ask ourselves, is it good? Does it have a positive effect on the world? And people will ask this of Christians. You claim this is true, but is it really something that makes me feel better about the world? And the last one is, that, that does it bring me joy? And this is a much more personal thing. Does it help me grapple with the existential realities of life? Does it, does it help me come to a place where even in the midst of darkness I can find hope? Does it help me think that the people that I love are also loved and valuable? Does it, does it help me see the beauty in the world? And I think ultimately, whenever we're answering tough questions, our first task is to discern which of these is being asked of us. Because if we take something that is being asked of us in the goodness category does this have a positive effect on the world and try and bring it back up to the truth category? Well, it doesn't matter if it's good, it's true. Then the people around us tend to respond by feeling like we've just shut the door in their face. Okay, I hear that you're arguing rationally to say that this is true, but you haven't addressed the fact that my heart needs to know that this is also good. And so what we do is we win the debate, but we lose the person. And I can think of any number of situations where I have seen these things at play in subtle ways. Take, take for example, the question of hell. How can a loving God send people to hell? This is a question you will hear asked of Christians. This is a question that can actually take a number of different forms when you dig into it and say, what is going on beneath the surface here? It could just be a logical question. Isn't it contradictory to say that God loves people and that at the same time he punishes them so severely? Okay, maybe there's just a logical conundrum. This seems contradictory. The person is just expressing this as an academic interest. This seems silly, logically. But they could also be asking, well, does it actually make God good 
if he thinks that he has to threaten people to get them to behave? Even as a parent, that's not the way I operate. I don't say to my kid, I'm going to lock you in the basement for the next week if you don't listen to me. And so people are going, wow, this seems like a really severe punishment to threaten people with to try and get them to behave. That, that seems bad to me. That's a goodness question. We can talk all day about the fact that, well, God is the moral authority of the universe and without him there is no such thing as goodness or evil, which is true. But I think in doing that, by bringing it back to that level, we're failing to address the fact that they're going, I don't care whether he's the moral authority of the universe, he seems mean, <laughs> right? So I think we need to address that. <clears throat> and alongside this, there might just be an existential thing going on here. Well, how could God love my grandma if she's supposed to be in hell just because she wasn't a Christian? Wow, okay. That's a whole other question. They're not necessarily asking the question of whether God is moral or not. They're just saying, I love my grandma. And now you're telling me she's being punished eternally. And we need to acknowledge that's a hard thing to wrestle with. Now, I, again, I could probably spend a whole sermon answering each of those questions. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you hanging a little bit there. I have answers to each of those things that I think are born out of my experience. But when it comes to answering them, we need to, first of all, discern which is being asked. And that starts by asking a lot of questions and figuring out what's going on inside of the person. Are they dealing with an intellectual truth question? Are they dealing with moral outrage and a goodness question? Or are they dealing with a, a sense of despair and are looking for some sort of joy in the midst of this? Right? Because they're all very different approaches. When it comes to the first one, I'm going to just lay out the evidence. Okay, let's look at the rationalism of this. Let's talk about this idea that God is the moral authority of the universe. Let's talk about the fact that without God, there is no morality, period. That's a truth thing. If we're, going to, if we're going to get into the second one, then I'm going to be asking, well, okay, maybe our caricature of God as, as condemning people unfairly isn't really what the Bible is presenting to us. Maybe even the portrait of hell in Scripture is a little different than we often state it as. Right? That he's, he's giving us a choice to be in his kingdom and actually good or to take our, take our own kingdom and leave. And that's really what it's about. It's not about God just sitting up there as an angry judge throwing people out left, right, and center. Right? Or, or the last one is, well, you know what? I struggle with this too. And first of all, we probably need to acknowledge we all struggle a little bit with this. But, but if I look at God's character in Scripture, if I see anything there, he's not looking for excuses to keep people out. He's looking for excuses to get them in. And it's very clear that nobody who really, truly wants to be in heaven and is willing to pursue that will be left out, right? And we still have to be left with the fact that maybe some of us don't really want to be in there, right? But I don't believe that this is God capriciously sending people to hell. And it gives me great comfort to know that whatever is going on in my grandma's life, if she truly has that desire, maybe she, maybe she came to Christ even sometime back in the past, and I don't even know it, right? I can hold on to some hope that God's not just going to slam the door and say, ah, oh, too bad, <laughs> right? So, so these, are, these are some of how I would wrestle with these questions. And that's a very brief overview. But I think, first of all, discerning what's going on here and then taking the time to address the logical question or the moral question or the existential question beneath the surface. That's how we approach any tough question. And so we can have a whole list of things that are asked of Christians. How can you believe that there's only one true religion? Doesn't science contradict Christianity? Don't you think that uh, religion causes more harm than good. Why can't I just believe that Jesus was just a good teacher? How come God commands genocide in the Old Testament? Why do Christians hate gays? Why do you put up with all that boring religious stuff? Why does God allow babies to suffer and die? Right? These are all questions I've heard asked of Christians. 
But I think if you actually stop and look at them closely, you can see how most of them come back to one, maybe two, of those things that we just talked about, the core questions underlying all of our beliefs. And, and discerning that, first and foremost, is how we begin to respond. So I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Again, I know there's a big overview there. And just to recap, when we're sharing our testimony, use that 15-second tool. When it comes to sharing the gospel, evangelizing people, I think there's a few different tools that we can use, including that three-circle method. But the key is to be able to present, here's what God is doing in the world, bring it back to the fact that he's restoring this world and we need to place our trust in him. Right? And, and when it comes to sharing answers to tough questions, we start by trying to discern, here's what's actually going on beneath the surface that the person is getting at. And then we can do our best to answer from there. And honestly, when it comes to answering tough questions, sometimes the best answer is to say, I don't know. That's a question I still wrestle with too. Maybe we can talk to somebody else or look up an answer online together or something like that. And acknowledging our limitations can be the best response. Ultimately, my hope is that all of this helps equip us to do what it said in 1 Peter. That we will be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in us. And that we'd be able to do it with gentleness and respect. Let's close in prayer and I'll invite the worship team back up. Father God, thank you for sending your son to bring us back into relationship with you, to bring us forgiveness. And thank you for not giving up on us, but instead choosing to restore us and restore this world. And I pray that in all that we would do, we would acknowledge your lordship over our lives and that we'd have opportunities to share the hope that we have with others and to be able to give reasons why we think that's a good hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.